Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the freaks come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. We are back. It has been a several-week absence from the Pink Seats, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, episode 12, April. I cannot believe we are in April. The last time we got together, it felt like it was the beginning of 2021, and I blinked, and here we are in the second quarter. <laughs> Matt, how are you, buddy? I, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm not going to lie. The last week has been rough on me between uh, getting my ribs nearly broken and pickup ball and then the, the spring is officially kicked in and my allergies are just absolutely kicking my rear end. It's a, it's, it's been a rough week, but you know, I'm alive. Can't, can't really complain much more than that. So as somebody who literally just was sick for like two and a half weeks, the allergy side of me is like, I'm, I'm there for you, buddy. I know if you're in the, the city of Louisville right now, you are suffering from some type of allergy um, just dealing with the, the elements at play here in Louisville, right? Awful. Yeah, because I, when I was covering that Louisville-Kentucky baseball game, uh, the media uh, sitting was actually outside for that game. I, I kid you not, man, every five, ten minutes, sneezing fit. I, I couldn't stop it. It was, it was awful. I feel like your sneeze could scare a batter. So Dan McDonald can use that, you know, for his <laughs> – Speaking of which, there's a cough, allergy cough right in the middle of that. <laughs> right, right on cue. Right on cue, man. It's like it, it, was, it was just waiting for the welcome into the show. All right, well, it's been a while since we've been together talking Louisville football. 
not a ton going on. There, there is some news, which we're going to get to a, a couple of things. I think that Louisville football fans have, have noticed, obviously, the, the transfer of Christian Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. We've had spring pro- football wrap up. Uh, pro day has taken place. It's crazy to think we are almost to the NFL draft, but uh, here we are. Um, and really the next step in the, the line for Louisville football is we get closer to Labor Day weekend and the kickoff against Ole Miss down in Atlanta. Summer camp is coming up, uh, you know, or fall camp. We're not too far away from the guys getting back to work, even though spring just wrapped up. Uh, it, it's crazy to think that that spring is over, but uh, here we are, Matt. Yeah, I'm just excited to see uh, how these uh, the, the guys are going to do in the NFL draft because we we've always talked about you know throughout this whole offseason about you know Tutu Atwell and Desmond Patrick they're probably going to get drafted but I'm I'm kind of excited to see how uh, some of the other draft prospects you know like a Marlon character who showed out during his pro day a Jared Goldwire you know uh, those other guys I'm I'm curious to see if they maybe get picked up towards the tail end of the draft, you know, like a day three late round seven, seven or something like that, or if they're uh, designated as like a priority undrafted free agent signing, I'm, I'm sure a lot of those guys will get picked up, whether that be in the draft or not, but I'm, I'm just hoping that they get their shot. Yeah. And, and a good point that you make there, those guys that we're really not talking about and speaking of which, which we're going to get into pro day here in a few minutes. I don't want to go all the way through pro day here just to start right. the show, but uh, it was great to see some of those, those guys from 2019 who um, had their draft cycle interrupted last year due to the, great the move pandemic. And, yeah, absolutely great. Getting to see guys like Kane pass, come back and get to work out and uh, prepare for, you know, potentially going into camp and getting the chance that they really didn't get last season because of everything that was happening in the world. So uh, you're right. Great move on the on the Cardinals part there the pro day looked awesome it's awesome you got to go out there and get the, the coverage in, in person I'm sure it was great to be back watching football in person on the field being able to kind of experience some of those things up close but let's let's talk about spring football here for a few minutes because there's a couple of different things that I want to get into um, there's an article that was written by warchant.com uh, relating to Florida State and just spring football and, and it's kind of sparking a bigger conversation and it's something I want to look at after we go back and just take a, a look at spring football it's like we like we said it, we blinked and it was here and it was gone between the end of the Louisville basketball season for both the men's and the women's baseball getting underway. Football has kind of slid under the radar and, and really been the, the kind of least talked about sport in the city. Would you agree with that, Matt? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, with, with uh, the women's having a great run with, you know, I mean, basketball always generate tra- generates traffic and, and with a uh, baseball finally starting up, not to say that baseball overtakes football because that, that's never a shot, but whenever that season finally starts to get going, I mean, football kind of gets buried and honestly like spring spring football is not as big of a deal around here as it used to be. You're exactly right. And the move a couple of years ago by Scott Satterfield when he came over from from App State of moving from that March, April time window up to February, right in the middle of basketball season, you know, he really just kind of snuck it in there. Like there's really that with everything else going around with obviously basketball being king in this city. Football just slides under the radar. Um, And so, again, we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. But let's talk about what actually happened on the field, what we know, which is very little because, you know, media is not allowed into spring practice. We really haven't gotten the chance to see anything outside of social media. And then, obviously, Matt, what the coaches have said to you guys during press conferences and such, which haven't been face-to-face, all virtual. So just kind of a different feeling for spring overall, I'm sure. But tell me if I'm wrong here, okay? I I went back and I looked at a a lot of what Coach Satterfield said, a lot of what the position coaches said, and I've come up with three big pillars of uh, spring football that I think are the points of emphasis. And you tell me whether you agree, disagree, or where you would kind of change some of these, okay? So I'm going to read these off to you. These are just what I observe from reading and listening. Uh, Number one, Jalen Mitchell has emerged as the clear leader of the offense uh, and the number one running back. Uh, Number two, 
there's nothing but youth at safety. Safety is the number one position when Scott Satterfield talks about the youth on the team. That's right where he goes to the back of that secondary. He talked about that, some of his concerns with them, but also how talented they are. And then number three, which I find this interesting considering how much time we spent as a show talking about uh, giving away turnovers. I thought that instead of talking about that, he focused more on creating turnovers as a defense. He did emphasize, obviously, that there's been com- competition in spring. There's been improvement that they've been working on, right. you know, not giving the football away. He mentioned fumbles have been much better. Um, but he said that the, the, the thing I really took away is that they need to create defensive turnovers. All right, what do you think of my overall analysis here since you have been the journalist um, covering all of this on the spot? No, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. But if, if I was going to add uh, uh, one thing else there is that whenever we uh, talk to all the position coaches, of course, you're going to get a lot of coach speak, as is with some of these press conferences. They're, they're all elated and glowing over the guys in their, in their various positions, and they say nothing but good things. They'll occasionally sneak in, uh, yeah, you know, they could do this better or they could do that better if they got a little bit to learn. But overall, the the reception is is pretty warm and mostly overall. And whenever uh, Satterfield gave his end of spring practice presser, it's it's not that he didn't sound like that, but he didn't sound as glowing. Instead of him saying like how great, instead of him leading off with how great everyone performed, he kind of said, he said yeah, I wish we could get in more practices. Yeah, we, we've still got some work to do. But I mean, he still took time to compliment them after that. But I, I found it was interesting that he kind of, let in with like, yeah, we've still got some work to do to do over the summer with summer workouts, fall camp, you know, all, all that spiel. But then talking about Jalen Mitchell, I mean, good God, every time the running backs are brought up or just strength and conditioning in general is brought up, he, he, he can't stop mentioning the guy. And I, I can't blame him because I've seen pictures of him on social media posted by the official account. And God, he looks, he looks jacked. I'm not going to lie. There's, there's, there's no uh, like sugarcoating. He's, he's definitely spent a little bit of time in the weight room. So, and um, that's not to say that just because he's you no know, built and bulk and whatnot, that's going to translate onto the field. Because for all we know that that might not, but it, it seems like Jalen Mitchell has put in a lot more work more than uh, more so than some of the other backs. And he's started to create a little bit of separation, at least in that respect. And youth and safety. Yeah. There, there are several uh, young, young pieces. Now they do have a veteran leader in Ken Derek Duncan, whether or not that translates in his first season remains to be seen. But if he has the kind of, First year at Louisville, like Trey Clark had, then man, there could be another all ACC type safety there. And speaking about the need to create turnovers, something that I really liked that what the defense did during the spring camp, I think it was Court Dennison that told us this. And because I remember asking one of the position coaches, like, what are you guys doing to? create more turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. Cause we we've talked ad nauseum about how the offense just, is just <coughs> coughing it up. Right. But we wanted to know like, what is the defense doing to kind of help out their cause? Because for all intents and purposes, the defense was, uh, it, they weren't as bad. I mean, like we've talked about on a previous episode, they're at least getting in the position. So it that's counts for something. It counts for something. I mean, it's, it's, Almost as only counts on horseshoes and hand grenades, but I mean it's it's closer than what it seems. So I asked Dennison, okay, what are what is something you guys are doing to kind of prompt this defense to maybe force some more turnovers? And they had a competition. Now, competition not new to camp or football or practice and whatnot. It's fairly it's common. Everybody does it, but they 
set up a competition between several different uh, positional groups amongst the defense. Like I believe it was cornerbacks and linebackers versus defensive line and safeties, something like that. And the goal by the end of spring camp was who would create the most negative plates. And they had a point scale like uh, P price pick ups were worth so much uh, interceptions were worth so much tackles for loss were so much sacks, yada, 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 anything you could. And they basically tracked over the uh, duration of spring camp, uh, which unit uh, was, uh, you know, ahead after a certain practice, who was doing what. Now we never got to find out who was the winner of said competition, but it, at least they're, they're doing something to try and, you know, motivate these guys to, hey, to have a nose for the football and really pursue it on the defensive side of things. It's going to be extremely important this year uh, for the defense because I think that going into the season, my money would be on them being the better of the the two units. I think the defense is going right. to be the, the what carries the the University of Louisville this year, which is just crazy to finally think that we've gotten to that point where the defense Heck, the, has, the defense was better this past season, and then the right. offense is losing two, three of their best weapons. So there's no question that the defense is going to be the best unit in 2021. Exactly. And, uh, you know, given the fact that there's so much youth on the Louisville offense and there's a lot of turnover and, you know, we're, we're likely going to see some growing pains at points of the season. I think it's important to be able to get extra possessions for them because we've seen they don't always capitalize on the ones that they have for themselves. You know, right. whether that's, a, you know, coming up short and having to punt or that's giving the football over via a fumble or, a, you know, an interception. So the defense being able to create turnovers, I thought was – an interesting storyline that Scott Satterfield really, you know, uh, kind of hyped up consistently. I think he spoke to the media twice and said it both times. And I also think several position coaches really went, uh, you know, to bat that that being something that was extremely important to them. Uh, the one thing I really did like that came out of spring. And again, this is really hard to judge because we can't see anything. We have no idea. We cannot test with our eyes. Um, as as people who cover the team, whether that be media with a, a capital M like yourself or media with a lowercase M like for myself, <laughs> we don't get the chance to go out there and see these guys play and be able to watch with our own eyes. And so we have to take everything that they say at their word and verbatim. So uh, I, I thought it was interesting, at least that they that they released some of these spring awards. Um, and a couple of them stood out to me. I'll just kind of read them off for people who have either forgotten or have, you know, didn't get a chance to see them, that the awards were most improved for both the offense and defense, the most outstanding only for special teams, which I thought that was interesting. Maybe I missed something there. Um, no, and then the, the way they kind of rolled it out was kind of odd. That's really like specific categories, but go ahead. And then best newcomer for both the offense and the defense. And so uh, on offense, the most improved players were Tyler Harrell, who was a wide receiver. I think he's a junior or senior. He's been with the program for a while now, or Bobby Patrick recruit uh, and Trevor Reed an offensive tackle uh, most improved on defense was Marvin Dallas who's an off- uh, an outside linebacker uh, best newcomer on on offense was Michael Gonzalez who is a offensive lineman offensive guard offensive tackle and then on defense for the best newcomer it was a split be- between Kendrick Duncan and Ashton Jalodi and then Jalen Mitchell is the most outstanding special teams I think they just made it special teams as a way to give it to him or something. I swear. They just wanted to give him an award here, but, but anyway, so he anything, does like him some Jalen Mitchell. Exactly. Anything stand out to you here that, you know, that just kind of is more than meets the eye. Well, I think best newcomer on defense. I mean, that's, that's not a surprise at all. I mean, they've just spoken the praises of Kendrick Duncan and Ashton Gelati ever since they arrived. Like it seems like almost every defensive position coach, like whenever I would ask them like, Oh, who's the best newcomer you've seen or who's had the best impression. At some points on, they've all mentioned Dash and Gelati. Like, I, I would not be surprised if I had money 
to bet on who would be a freshman who has first crack of the rotation. I, I would still probably go with Ben Perry just because of his versatility and his talent, but I would put Ash and Gelati like right behind him because it seems like he's just made a phenomenal first impression. Uh, best newcomer on offense, Gonzalez. That did kind of surprise me a little bit because they've, there's a few guys on that side where, who are pretty highly talented, not to say that he wasn't, but you know, the kind of the key uh, recruits on that side of the ball were Amari uh, Huggins, Bruce, uh, Travion Cooley, who, you know, who I have plenty of thoughts on, but to see him be like the best stood as the best newcomer uh, on the offensive side of the ball makes me think that this, this offensive line is going to hopefully take a little bit of a step forward with some of these newcomers coming in uh, most improved offense. Tyler Harrell was a little bit surprising because I mean, we haven't really heard much of him because he's kind of been in the shadow of, pretty much all the other, all the receivers in this time here. Trevor Reed, that doesn't surprise me at all because we've seen what what that man can do with his athleticism. I mean, anytime you're 305 pounds, you can do a backflip. That's that's just impressive. And Marvin Dallas, I mean, it's it's nice that he's getting some love as the most improved on defense because when it, when you, when a lot of people who talk about Louisville football and they talk about the outside linebackers, more often than not they'll first the first person that comes to mind in terms of like, you know, returners is Yasir Abdullah because of just the outrageous like end of the season he had last year so to see him kind of get the nod as most improves i think that maybe i still think this is going to be the better of the outside linebacker too but i think marvin dallas could probably hold his own as well yeah i, I thought these were all you know fairly uh, like there, i didn't have any questions about them or nothing really kind of stood out i mean michael gonzalez like you said a, a young guy getting uh, on the offensive line who really didn't kind of come in with a ton of recognition. I mean, he's a really good three-star prospect that picked Louisville over several good schools, but right. um, you know, we didn't see many of the freshmen get in last season. We haven't seen many of the freshman offensive line play at all. So I don't really know how much that means here because there's so many veterans in front of him, but it's great to see. Uh, and then, you know, Tyler Harrell, that's an interesting one because uh, he, he was kind of a, you know, I don't want to call him a, a throwaway, but he, you know, he's been here for three or four years now. And I, I can't remember him really doing much of anything. You know, I think he's been hurt right. for a year or two, but he's one of the last Bobby Petrino wide receivers who is still here. Josh Johnson is another one. But um, it's interesting to kind of see how these guys have kind of competed against each other. And we've seen the exits of Corey Reed and, um, you know, now Christian Fitzpatrick. And so, you know, it, it, to me, it says that Scott Satterfield is really giving everyone an equal opportunity for playing time. You know, if 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 this is a guy who is like 16th on the depth chart two years ago or, you know, we, it's because Louisville's had so many wide receivers. And here yeah. he is now winning this award speaks volumes as to the competition that they are creating, that these guys who haven't played much have the opportunity to prove themselves and get an award like that. And it's a perfect lead into the, the next thing I want to talk about, which is Christian Fitzpatrick. Um, I think that the news of his transfer uh, last week kind of caught several, uh, a lot of Louisville fans by surprise. Uh, I think a lot of the, the the casual average Louisville fan maybe who doesn't keep up with Twitter and always, you know, follow the big football follower, the, the big football writers here in town. Maybe they don't understand how things work, but they know he's a big name that was kind of destined to step into maybe a starting role behind Dez at some point. And, um, here we are two years later, and, and he's leaving Louisville. And so a lot of fans for the first time, which we're going to get to this in a few minutes because of the media not being involved with spring football as much and no fan involvement. A lot of fans are just now starting to realize that so there's some things happening, and they're seeing a big name transfer, and they're like, what is, what's happening here? Like, why is this guy leaving? What, you know, what is, right. What's the offense doing wrong, or why isn't the staff able to get the most out of you know somebody who is a four-star receiver who had a – 
who wanted to be here. I mean, that's the thing about Christian Fitzpatrick is he wanted to be here. His brother had been here through the ringer. And for Christian to come here, I, I said two years ago, that was a big sign for Louisville, right? And so here he is leaving. And I think a lot of fans are starting to wake up and see that there's this big football news. And so my question is how big of a deal is it really when you take the emotions away of the last name and just look at the player and the movement that's happening? Is there any, is that it's shocking to you? Or are you kind of like when you see Tyler Harrell win that award, you say, okay, Tyler Harrell has, you know, a better fit in the scheme here. And, and, and maybe he's the reason why Fitzpatrick is leaving. I think a lot of uh, people in the fan base tend to have a little bit of an overreaction whenever they see, you know, someone transferring, especially when you see a lot of people transferring um, in a quick amount of time, not to say that Christian was, but I'm just talking about in general. And then a lot of people are like, Oh no, why is everyone leaving? Why is everyone leaving? I mean, th- this kind of thing happens with programs all across division one, division two, like all levels of collegiate football. But it, it, it is kind of odd to see this particular guy uh, transfer out. But like you said, take away the name, take away the motions. I think at, at that face value, it's not that surprising. But when you add in the name, it's a, it's a little, maybe a tad concerning. But, I mean, Christian is Dez's little brother. I mean, who, who is Dez going to, you know, complain about any issue he's got with the coaching staff that he himself doesn't feel like he can bring to, he's probably going to bring it up to him. And when you see that, you know, Christian Fitzpatrick, not Christian, when you see that Des Fitzpatrick had the uh, season that he had and how he was not like a key part of the offense for about half of the season. And it seems like the offense, when it came to the passing game was just predicated on trying to force feed Tutu Atwell the ball and like not giving, you know, Des or a, a whole lot of other receivers, quite frankly, their, their fair shake. Yeah, of course, you know, Christian's going to be the first one to hear all those complaints from Dez. And and whenever Dez moves on, you know, it's the, it's the first time that both Christian and Dez have gotten to play together for the same team at the same time. So I think once Dez was no longer in the picture, I think Christian having heard what Dez has probably told him, you know, behind the scenes. And now that he's gone, he's probably like, I mean, what what do I have? What future do I have in this offensive system? Really, I mean, because if, if, if it's going to continue like this, I'd rather not like wait and find out. And I'd rather like try and find an opp- another opportunity, which I mean, the op- the move that he did make. Yeah, he went to Michigan State, which at face value would, like does not look like like a move up. It doesn't even look like a lateral move. I mean, Michigan State's arguably a worse uh, in worse shape than Louisville. But I mean, Michigan. Uh, Michigan State and Lance Lansing's just like an hour away from Detroit, like the Detroit suburbs where they're from. So, I mean, that yeah. move alone, like, makes sense. I think that a lot of people were confused by the move because of the, you know, Michigan State hasn't been considered a prolific passing offense. I mean, they've had some good quarterbacks, though. You have Connor Cook. You've got Kirk Cousins. There's been guys that have played there. Uh, and Mel Tucker, who is the head coach at Michigan State, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. he's he has developed and been a part of staffs that has produced top receivers both at Georgia uh, and at Colorado, I mean, look at uh, the most recently, they just had a first rounder, a second rounder a couple of years ago, uh, the Chenault place. Yeah, Chenault. yeah, he, yeah he, so, he was doing well in Jacksonville. Right. So I, I think that, you know, I, I, at surface surface level in terms of looking at Michigan State, it's probably not giving it with the context it deserves. And I think that there's there's no way that they would move from one offense that's stale with passing, which you could classify Louisville at sometimes as stale in the passing game. Yeah. Um, I don't think they'd make that kind of move if they didn't see a, you know, a better offensive path kind of being charted forward. But I think that where the alarm kind of goes off in my head is, you know, I, I think that Christian Fitzpatrick was always a bigger 
a bigger deal, like, but then more so than just the player because of the message, like I said, that it sent, you know, he had seen what Des had been through with Bobby Petrino and he had been around the local football, football program then, and then got the chance to be around the new staff committed Mm -hmm. elsewhere and then saw enough to decommit and choose to go to Louisville. Um, And so I think that after two seasons, what could be summarized is two things. One, uh, it's a situation where only the top two or three receivers have, you know, a real opportunity to produce. And if he's not in that makes sense to leave. And, And also if, if you're a guy who's a red shirt freshman, like, like Christian Fitzpatrick will be, and, you see maybe one year of, you know, maybe if I just sit in a reserve role for one year, the next year we're going to have a new quarterback in, we're going to have a different kind of style. I think I can see a future path where I fit maybe in a year away from now with Louisville, Matt mistake me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. There's no plan right now at quarterback after this season there. We have no idea who's going to play quarterback. None. It, it seems like they've put a lot of eggs into the, 20, the class of 2022 or or maybe they think that Luke McCaffrey has a legitimate shot. Like maybe they have they think they could potentially mold him or T.J. Lewis, which I mean, it's not saying it's a, it's a tall task, but based on what we've seen so far, they're great athletes, but their passing game has a lot of refining to do. Exactly. And I, I would be shocked to see not see shocks to learn like if either Luke McCaffrey or uh, TJ Lewis was the long-term plan at quarterback. I, I would be shocked. You're exactly right. I would be shocked as well. It's like Michael Scott. He only knows paper. Michael Scott only knows paper, right? But in this situation, what Christian Fitzpatrick saw is quarterbacks who only can read one receiver. And I, I think it's fair to say that the biggest, one of the biggest criticisms of Malik Cunningham is the inconsistency with multiple reads, Right. And so if you see Luke McCaffrey coming in and you see just basic film, his dad would be able to tell him when he saw that, you know, his dad knows football well enough to say, Hey, look, it's the same thing. It's a one read quarterback. If you're not the first read, it's very slim of chances of you being able to produce. So I I think it makes sense here that the transfer, I think it, you know, if there's other guys who fit better, I think this offense has clearly um, defined that speed is what's most important. Right. And I think that, what I know about Tyler Harrell and what I remember from his recruitment is that the one thing you associated with him was speed. And so if they're going with these smaller, speedier, shiftier receivers, Kristen Fitzpatrick just doesn't fit that. And I think it makes sense for them at this point to go, go their separate ways. And I think it can have a, a little impact on the field because I think that we both agree. And I think the, the, the consensus with fans is his impact was going to be minimal at best this year. If he's at not least for this year, maybe even the year after that, unless he had like a couple of off seasons of really great development, he could probably be, you know, a somewhat impactful red shirt sophomore and set up for a really good red shirt junior year. But that, that was, he, he wasn't going to be a significant contributor this upcoming season. It, it just wasn't going to happen. Exactly. And if he's not in that top three, which I don't think he would have been in the depth chart overall, um, I think it makes sense to go on and look elsewhere. So we wish him the best of luck. We're hoping at some point to be able to uh, talk to Greg again, but before the, the football season starts with Michigan State and Louisville um, to find out a little bit more and just catch up with him. And so we'll, we'll see, but um, best of luck to him as he goes off to East Lansing, man. I know I'll Absolutely. be watching because uh, I want to see what he does. It's always been interesting to see what his, game is like and we've not gotten a chance yet so uh, last thing is spring here big concerns moving forward matt if if you had to list your your number one thing as we get into to summer and fall and you just you know kind of ponder what the season's going to look like and you just get stuck on that one thing what is it for you 
I would, I mean, other than how the quarterback battle is going to be, because I think uh, Cunningham's like, he's the number one guy. There's no question, but I'm interested to see like how he starts this season. And if he does start to struggle again, what's going to be the plan of action. Then there's that. And then uh, who, who Louisville is going to bring in for, to be their starting nose tackle. Cause he, like, you, I'll give you credit. You said it yourself that you think Louisville's starting nose tackle is not on the roster right now. And even Satterfield said himself at his end of spring practice um, presser that nose tackle safety, and maybe even quarterback were three positions that are going to, they're going to keep looking at over the, uh, over the summer to bring in in August when fall camp is starting up when the, uh, the counter for scholarships resets and I, I, now I agree with you. I really am not sure that Louisville's starting nose tackle it, it is here right now. I mean, not to say anything bad about Malik Clark or Des Tell. They're both, you know, they're serviceable at this point. But are, are they going to give you the impact that you really need? Are they going to be able to help this defensive line and in front seven be able to apply the pressure specifically up the middle that Louisville really needs to in order for that defense to truly make that next step? Because for all uh, we both know the defense – led this team last year and it was, but it was mainly due to the secondary and the play of Kytro Clark, the play of character, the play of, you know, all those other defensive backs. But I mean, the linebacking core as well, but the defensive line is going to be a big storyline to kind of monitor and follow throughout the summer and see who Louisville is targeting or attempting to recruit and try and join because that's, that's an area of help too. And, and one more thing, I mean, I didn't really think about it until, you know, Satterfield addressed it in his presser. But other than a couple, a couple guys in safety, that's a really young core, and it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that group of safeties you know makes that transition from last year to this year, knowing that two veteran guys in Rusty East and Isaiah Hayes are no longer here, and now you've got a group that's mainly led by redshirt freshmen. Yeah, you're exactly right, and I think that it goes to to making what would be also my biggest concern here, which is the defensive line and the the number one need with spring football or the number one defensive need, in my opinion, outside of turnovers, again, is creating a consistent pass rush. We've we've not seen that yet with Louisville. I think it's kind of the next evolution of the defense, and it's great to see guys like Ashton Jalodi and some of the others, Yaya Diaby and, um, you know, Jadarian Boykin and these guys getting these reps and being able to improve, but what happens with the front three is going to be extremely crucial. And I think that if you've got a really good front three who can create push and create pressure up the middle, your mm-hmm. back end becomes a little bit less of a, a worry because you're getting right. to the quarterback plays are happening quicker. They're having to react what's underneath rather than, you know, worrying about your defense getting the top blown off. So I think that nailing that nose tackle position, I think Scott Satterfield, um, you know, I think, like you said, I think he's pretty much made it clear that they've got to go out and get somebody. If they're not a starter, Malik Clark can start. That's fine. But they've got to find somebody who can be an impact player, somebody who can get sacks, who, who can be just a force a day one. You don't need a body. You need somebody who can do something. You need somebody who can be an impact maker. They brought in defensive linemen each of the last couple of years or, or players on the defense as grad transfers. Ty Tyler is a perfect example in year one. And they just never saw the field. Like they, they need guys who can create and play and actually make an impact because if not – then your, your 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 pass rush isn't taking the step forward. That puts more pressure on your secondary. It exposes your youth. You don't have Isaiah Hayes back there and um and 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 Brushy, which they're not great, but those guys were, 
you know, towards the end of the season, really doing a good job of keeping plays underneath. So, right. I think that's going to be important. All right. Let's take a look at this. Uh, th- we've kind of teased this at the beginning of the show. Um, and I want to try to go through this delicately um, because, you know, we are not college football administration. We don't know what goes into planning for a, a high level ACC football team. But um, there's an interesting article released. Um, by warchant.com of the rivals network by uh by by Corey clark which just goes in depth about how mike norvell is working to change the culture at florida state and by one of the things that he's done is he's opened the program up to the media Um, and when you do that when you open the program up to the media it allows for uh, like I said, more transparency earlier, you know, you, you get to see things for yourself. People who have a trained eye for some of these sports get to see things and uh, coaches can't just say something without there being any ramifications because right. they, these people can see if this is happening. And, and so Corey just talks about how that has changed in, in, in Tallahassee and it's been a, re, a very refreshing change of pace and it's allowed to just kind of generate more excitement with a, within a fan base of a program who has really been down the last couple of years. I mean, they have really taken a downward turn since Jimbo Fisher left to, to go to Texas A&M. Um, and I say I want to talk about this delicately because I think it's worth noting that spring football – in Louisville has never been a huge deal, right? We would, we would not disagree on that. It's never been what it is at Alabama, Nebraska, these, these stadiums, these, uh, these teams can pack 80,000 people in for spring football games. Because the same time spring football is going on is when typically when March Madness is going on or like when basketball season is in full swing. Yes, it it is to an extent, but what gets Louisville fans to spring football? Well, if I had to say, Matt, this fan is going to go to the game and watch it. What would that fan say is the number one most important thing to them? Is it the football? football? Yeah, exactly. It's not football. <laughs> it's not the spring football game that's happening. You're right. It's the it's. The, do they have one dollar beers? That's the question. Exactly. Because that's what the culture has been around Louisville spring football. So when Scott Satterfield just Louisville came athletics in, in general, it is. But like spring football was an excuse for us to go pack the pack Cardinal Stadium in the middle of April when there's not other sports going on. There's no basketball is over at that point. Baseball, you know, back when spring football was really going, baseball was just kind of building up and it really didn't catch a lot of attention until the postseason and so spring football was somewhat of a big deal they did the they did the fan festivals for years and they had you know before Bobby Petrino was here I remember as a kid going to practices like they've always had an element of openness to spring football and Scott Satterfield came in last year uh, two years ago changed it you know they 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 moved it up to February they had no open practices they did do the team scrimmages or drills or whatever that was in year one Um, but this year there's nothing and spring football just comes and it goes and we're coming off of an offseason where Scott Satterfield dabbled with another job with another program after going four and seven in a pandemic year where he was one of the head coaches pushing for football had some very lousy things to say. I'll be quite honest. Say he owned up to it. He's apologized. We've moved on. But I just feel that as we head into the season, the reason I am concerned overall as a program is the fan excitement has been sucked out of the program. And spring football, not that it's ever been a huge deal, but it's flown under the radar enough to where now fans are just like, 
whatever, you know, we're going to go into a season where fans are going to be coming back into the building and they're they're and, and they don't know a damn thing about the team. The team, do they care? All they I think most fans right now would tell you they care more about tailgating than they do about actually going. And so as we get closer, fans are going to have to make tough decisions about season tickets and they're going to have to make tough decisions on whether they want to go and invest their time again if they feel comfortable being in these stadiums and going through all this and I just wonder if Louisville is in just such a weird spot right now because of this mix, and, and I don't even know if this is a question as more it is a general discussion. So hop in here to prevent me from rambling, but <laughs> we've got this weird mix of the coach potentially wanting to leave and not really being interested in being in Louisville one foot in one foot out. We have the team going four and seven. We have a spring football where no one seems to have known that it even took place. And we have, coach speak that's really all we got from scott, scott satterfield we, we we heard from him twice and we you know he he provided some good nuggets but like i said there's nothing there to verify it and i just wonder if right now there's just this kind of negative energy going into the season and, and you know louisville fans if louisville's not good they're not coming yeah no that you're absolutely right and just to play devil's advocate a little bit i mean i don't think we're going to we we weren't going to get like a normal fan experience during this particular spring session just because you know we're still in the middle of a of a pandemic we're i mean we're we're on the downswing like seemingly knock on wood with thing things are starting to settle down but i i think as it pertains to this year it was probably never going to be like anything like super worthwhile like we couldn't really get like a ton of fans in but if if the pan take the pandemic out of things and i think this was absolutely a year in which Scott Satterfield had to kind of break his mold and, you know, try and inject some more life into the program. This was a year that, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to start in February to get a head start. And and then honestly, that's one thing that I kind of like, it gets the players uh, more engaged early. It prevents, you know, like rust from building up over like an, an extended period of time. It, it keeps them active. It keeps them like engaged in the, in the, the playbook earlier. It gets them more familiar with the playbook early. It gets early enrollees more engaged and acclimated with the program earlier. But if the pandemic was not a thing, and I know that's a big, if I think Scott Satterfield should have at least considered, you know, maybe push, pushing it back, like just a little bit, maybe having a more traditional spring atmosphere, because like you said, coming off of a losing campaign where many people projected this team to potentially be a dark horse candidate for the ACC championship. I I said it, I'll own up to it. I thought this team had a legitimate chance, like maybe not a legitimate chance. Maybe roll that back a little bit because we all knew Clemson was going to win the division, but not, not division. They didn't have, you know what I mean? It's, it's been Louisville had a chance to, to be very good. Let's just Louisville had a chance to finish in the top third of the standings. Obviously it was, it was going to be Clemson and Notre Dame. There's no, there's no debating that, but Louisville had a legitimate chance or people believed Louisville had a legitimate chance to finish, you know, third, fourth, maybe even fifth, you know, in, in that top third, that upper echelon of the ACC and to see it just have the bottom almost completely fall out and for this team to look just so predictable and so vanilla on offense and have the defense try and save their ass multiple times only for the offense to just cough it away in the final goings for for them to go three games under 500 and then on top of that 
have it found out that the head coach is dab- is dabbling in another job, maybe not a full-blown interview per se, maybe just engaging in uh, conversations and what, whatever uh, you know descriptor you want to use there. He, he bottom line is he at least talked to another program about the potential of moving. Maybe maybe he really didn't have intentions on leaving Louisville, but he didn't completely shut the door to that potentially happening and combine all of the factors I just listed Scott and Scott Satterfield left and continues to leave an incredibly sour taste in a lot of little fans mouths. Now, as we both know, time starts to heal all wounds. And some people have started to put that behind them. I know I, I was kind of one, I kind of started to look past, but then again, I'm, I'm around this program fairly often. So I kind of moved on quicker than, than a lot of people did. But a lot of fans like don't have that short memory. A lot of a lot of fans they still remember the John Ellis. They remember the Strongs. You know they remember Petrinos and in the, the deal with Auburn. They remember that stuff. And to see it happen again, I mean, even Scott Satterfield himself said that he didn't know that like Louisville coaches had a history of doing that. He found out quick though, and it, for him to try and start to bring back goodwill, and maybe not even goodwill from the fan base, but just energy and excitement it's it's that it's it's that it's spring not, football needed to open up maybe i don't know if you could have gotten you could have done it this year like i said because of the pandemic but maybe they could have had like a live streamed open practice or something along those lines maybe not the entire thing because there's some things you want to kind of keep within like within your programs and to not have other you know programs scout and whatnot but i I think there needed to be something. And it doesn't even have to be a fan of it because in 2021, right now, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. It's not over yet. Um, COVID is a built-in reason to not host more events than you have to. So I get that side of it. But why can you have um, a, a, you know, a groundbreaking for the, the, the Denny Crumb building and have media in attendance or – you know, be, why, why are you practicing at, at Cardinal Stadium where you have a ton of seats? You can spread media out, but you're you're just completely blocking that out, you know. And I'm not saying that Scott Satterfield owes us anything, but I think that when the program went through what it went through this past year and when there's the, kind of a fan distrust and you're heading He'd into – He'd be doing himself a favor to do something. To just be able more to provide anything. more coverage because more than anything right now – what the program needs is excitement. I mean, we have a game in September that is against Ole Miss and the Mercedes-Benz Alien Dome, and I don't know if anybody cares. Like, I literally don't know. We're not close to it yet, and maybe because everybody's still in this pandemic fog and haze, like that it hasn't hasn't hit people that they're going to get to go watch football this year. That that game is in existence, and it's going to happen. But I just, I just, we're we're headed down a really, a, a really slippery slope here, where you cut the, the the media coverage out, which kind of eliminates some of the fan excitement, um, and you you become more having to trust what you hear, and when you don't see that on the field, um, it just creates kind of this just negative energy, and that's where we are. And Louisville's got an interesting start to their schedule with 
Ole Miss and Central Florida in the first three weeks. So yeah, two two teams who can really light up the scoreboard. You get smacked week one by Ole Miss, and fans are already kind of like, eh, and then you go in and, and you, you lay an egg against Central Florida or barely sneak by. I, I, I think, I, think just, uh, I don't know, man. Maybe this is just me speaking, uh, like thinking out loud, but I think a lot of Louisville fans need to prepare for the potential that the first like few weeks of the season could be a rough one. Because, I mean, UCF, I mean, they got a new head coach, but, I mean, they they still got Dylan Gabriel. They've still got just an absolute – I mean, their head coach is Gus Malzahn, like a, a guy who has been really good in his career. A, a guy with who a very you know, good won quarterback. the championship with Auburn. Correct. <laughs> He's right. a good coach. And you pair him in the offense that UCF has. They, And then you got Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. We know what he can do on offense. Right. Their quarterback could very is... well start off the year like one and two, two. one and three. Yeah. And then they've got what Florida State after that, who is going to be no slouch this year. So I'm it's just it, right. And I, we I, we will go into this at a much later time. I think the conversation here is that there's just been a lot of things that have happened that are now are starting to snowball into fans questioning whether or not a guy who won eight games two years ago is the right guy for the job. And I still think he is. I think that winning will cure all. I think they're going to have yeah. a decent season. I don't know what it's going to be, but I just feel like fans are going into it like, well, if he doesn't win seven games, then let, let then good riddance. And that's a bad energy to go into a season where you open yeah. with Ole Miss and Central Florida off the bat. Uh, this this conversation will continue to evolve. And but I tell you what, though, the, the best and I'll, I'll just say this before we transition to the next subject, you know what the number one cure all for all this negative energy is, right? Winning. Exactly. It's not everything's great and we're practicing hard and we're really getting after it and our guys are having fun. That now that that kind of masquerade and that 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 fun year, loving year one Phillips, it's year go. one is something where like those those kind of things were something that you know, like fans could get excited for because coming off of that 2018 where you know the, Louisville got their ass handed to them every game. That's something – those are storylines you focus on and get excited for year one. We're heading into year three. And at this point, whether it's fair or not, year three in college football nowadays is a make-or-break year. This kind of gives fans and people in athletic departments kind of a sense of what the potential arc of this head coach is going to be or at least give some semblance to it. If there aren't, because at this point it'll be a roster of almost all SAS guys. And if there is not a winning product or a somewhat winning product on the field, that, that seat might start to get hot. You're exactly right. And that's going to create a very interesting environment for a uh, group of media who doesn't have the, the access that once existed. And I think that that's going to, it's going to be interesting when you have the opportunity to, to speak highly of somebody and the, the, the relationship with Scott Satterfield. I think that all of those things are going to evolve and continue to be something to watch. And, you know, again, winning will change all of this. Let's reset here. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick from the pink seats, university of Louisville football podcast. Uh, we've tried our best here to kind of break down a spring football. That doesn't even feel like it happened at this point. Uh, <laughs> the other thing, Matt, the big topic that I wanted to discuss uh, and you, we, we talked about this at the beginning of the show is pro day. Louisville just had their pro day. The underwear Olympics is the underwear Olympics, no NFL combine this year. So rocking your underwear and your home arena, your home stadium becomes much more important. Louisville had a ton of guys work out both uh, 2020 draft prospects or 2021 draft prospects and guys who were eligible from last year's draft from the 2019 team. Uh, Matt, you were there. What stood out to you? 
uh, in terms of like measurables or drills. I think if, if anything starts to me, like all, all three of like the top uh, prospects, you know, Des Fitzpatrick, Tutu Atwell, Javon Hawkins, they all ran really, uh, really good 40 times. They looked all really solid in drill work. And Des Fitzpatrick even said himself, he was able to prove to a lot of scouts and a lot of coaches and, you know, team representatives that were there that he can run a lot faster than people think he can't he, he ran a four four six which is no slash for a guy that's six two or i mean his official measurement was uh six foot one and six eighths of an inch which is pretty much six point two I, I i hate these really really precise was it with NFL shoes combos. or without shoes because you you know that they play football these days without shoes apparently like in the nba they want to measure you without your shoes on as if you're going to go out there and compete with no like no kicks it's, on it's so weird yeah, but no, but, are strange. but Des, Des really looks good in his measure in, in his measurables and drill work. I mean, that's no surprise here. We saw what he did in the senior bowl and the week leading up to it. Uh, the one thing that really piqued my eye was what Tutu Atwell weighed in at because he was already a really undersized guy. I mean, I think his official weight on the Louisville roster was like 165 or 168, somewhere in that ballpark, and he weighed in at 155. I mean, a lot of teams are already questioning like his durability and his size and his frame and whatnot to see him weigh that. I'm not saying he's going to slip, uh, like fall down draft boards because I mean his tape and his his body of work speaks for itself. But seeing that, I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's cause for concern, but I mean, I'm sure a lot of NFL uh, draft people and scouts and whatnot were probably maybe a little bit turned off on that. A- absolutely, especially with you know a bunch of slot receivers in this draft. I, I, I heard Todd McShay and, and um, Mel Kuyper talking about this being a really strong draft for the slot receiver this year. And Tutu Atwell is firmly in the mix as, you know, being a guy who is going to be an NFL impact player, but 155, man, that that's tough. When you, when you've missed as many games as he has over his, you know, th- not even that he's missed a ton of games, but that he's been injured, dinged up. He's had these, these injuries that have cost him like the back injury last year to miss games and his freshman year, I think he missed a couple of them. And so, um, yeah, it's concerning, but the speed, the speed definitely stood out. What do you run a four, four, three, three? I mean, four, three, two, that's I, I will tell you, man. I will tell like, you this though, um, out of, outside of those three guys, I mean, those, those three guys are probably going to get drafted. If, if, if not, I mean, at least I think the only one who even has a remote concern, of not getting drafted is Des, but I still think he will anyways, but if any one of those guys outside of those three gets drafted because of like what they did during pro day, I think it's going to be Marlon character because he, he put on for uh, his pro day. I mean, he came in five, uh, five, not five, but what's this measure? Anyways, forget that. Forget that part. I guess I'm typing on this measurements parts. I was really tired when I wrote this, but anyways, um, he ran a, he ran a four, five, six. He had a, 39 and a half inch vertical got a broad jump of 10 foot seven inches and get this out of the 2020 guys he had the most bench presses at 21 reps he out he out repped jared goldwire he had 20 and character had 21 i I believe it man marlon character is a savage and he is a guy that is extremely physical a lot of fun to watch when he is hitting people um, I love to see it, man. I want to see more of these guys get an opportunity. You know, like I said, last year, you know, I, I don't know if a ton of the guys off of that 2019 team would have had the opportunity to play in the NFL, but I think some would have if they got the opportunity. So it's good to see. I'm hoping to see Ann Pfeiffer be a, a surprise late draft pick, man. A guy who is a touchdown I think, machine. I think he can make a camp and like maybe make some noise in a uh, potentially like a rookie mini camp and maybe crack like the first round of cuts. 
I'm not sure he'll ever make a 53 man roster, but I think he, 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 I think he'll end up getting like signed as an undrafted free agent for sure. All right. Let, let's talk about this for a second. So the draft is coming up uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. I usually know when, when it is, but I do not have Thursday, April 29th. I okay. So we are so many articles <laughs> from tonight. We are what? 19 days away, 21 days away. We're getting super close to the draft. The three guys that we talk about when it comes to this draft are obviously Tutu, JVN, and Dez. I want to tell you, I, I think that I have found the perfect destination for all three. And I want you to tell me what you think of each one of them. And if you agree, great. If you disagree, I want to see what, what your thoughts are on teams. So Tutu Atwell, Green Bay. When you look at a guy who would be a perfect complement to Devontae to Adams, Devontae yep. Adams, uh, Valdez Scantling, Alan Lazard, you're talking about a burner who his only responsibility in that offense would be just to run out routes and just blow past everybody. Like you're talking about a guy who's going to get single coverage most of the time, I would say. Tell me Tutu Atwell wouldn't be a fun weapon for Aaron Rodgers. Oh, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers would love to have more receivers anyways. Cause I mean, the, the, for some stupid reason, the Packers have refused to spend a first round pick on a receiver for Aaron Rodgers. Not to say that Tutu is going to be a first round pick, but They've not really, you know, built a lot, built up a lot of receivers for Rodgers. So I'm sure that he would love to have a straight line speed guy like Tutu Atwell. Because I mean, I mean, Devonta Adams is probably going to get double coverage almost all the time, and that leaves room for you know Marcus Devonta Scantling and Alan Lazard to kind of do the things they do. Can you imagine if uh, Tutu Atwell, like in a four receiver set, being the fourth guy out, and he's able to like you know burn a cover three with the, those other three guys like drawing attention? That's what I'm saying. Might be able to make some noise. You might be able to talk Aaron Rodgers out of, uh, you know, potentially not hosting Jeopardy. I mean, look, he's that big (laughs) of a weapon. You you never know. All right, Javian Hawkins, the perfect fit, I think, for him is the New York Jets. Matt, we looked this up before the show. I want to test your memory. Who was the second leading rusher for the New York Jets behind Frank Gore in 2020? I I can't. I can't bleep it. You don't know. It's the you don't know. Nobody knows. I'm not even sure there's any more running backs on that team besides Frank Gore. Their running backs for the last three or four years have been Le'Veon Bell, Bilal Powell, and a bunch of dudes that aren't named Frank Gore. Uh, their running backs has been the worst in the NFL, that's maybe. Pretty much sums it up right there. It yeah. is. Imagine Javian Hawkins in a, you know, not necessarily an every down role. I think they're going to probably draft somebody higher than him, but say he's a fourth round pick and he's a compliment to a Travis Etienne or somebody, another guy who can be. And, and I'm pretty sure Javian has some familiarity with one of their key offensive linemen. I'm like working to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure he knows a guy on that line. I, I think that, that, that stretch left, man. I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure if that, that left there, tackle man. will remember that play, but maybe I remember somebody once compared Javian Hawkins running behind Mekhi Beck as a Corvette running behind a refrigerator and I just can't ever I like change get that thought out of my mind <laughs> hilarious to think about but yeah man you put him in New York Frank Gore's old enough to be his dad can teach him a couple of things and you've got yourself a nice little running back duo to go with uh, a young quarterback presumably Zach Wilson uh, up in New York a lot of fun there all right final one Des Fitzpatrick the Pittsburgh Steelers Matt if there is anything about the Pittsburgh Steelers that you know when it comes to the NFL draft what is it? What What is it? The number one thing that the Pittsburgh Steelers are really good at. I'll pay attention to the Steelers. So you, you inform right. me. <laughs> they are really good at drafting value receivers and developing them. Yeah. Can I, can I interest you in Antonio Brown? 
fifth round pick, yeah, sixth yeah, round Central pick. Central Michigan, yeah. That's Can true. I interest you in James Washington, third round pick, Oklahoma State? Can I interest you in J- Juju Smith-Schuster, third round pick? Over the years, they have drafted. Juju was a solid college receiver, though. He, he wasn't was, really he was under mid, the radar, though. He, but he was a mid-round receiver who fell that Pittsburgh has developed into a star. Pittsburgh has been very good at taking guys who are uh, good college players um, who may not be necessarily the top of the, the, the cream of the crop of receiver in the draft, but somebody who can fit into their system and produce. was Mike Wallace highly regarded out of college. It's, I, he, I think I he remember. was, I think he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was a, uh, maybe a first round receiver, second round receiver. They, oh, they yeah. took, um, I cannot remember the guy's name. They took a wide receiver out of Tennessee uh, in the mid rounds. They've, they, they've always gotten a receiver. Uh, even, um, uh, gosh, man, I'm drawing a blank on their receiver who, uh, developed into the number two this year was a really good fantasy Claypool. player. But uh, Cl- there's also Claypool. That's a good example. But they even had another one. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, but they've had multiple receivers that they have drafted. They have not drafted a first round receiver that I can remember. And still, they have a ton of all pro wide receivers. Des Fitzpatrick could be that guy. What do you think? No, I, I could definitely see that. But I'm I'm going to counter that. And I'm, but I'm going to stay in the division. And I think you know you know where I'm going with this. I think. It, he could potentially fit in the Baltimore Ravens system because it, it's not, it's it's not a system that's heavily predicated on like play by the wide receivers. But Lamar needs more, like better options because I mean Marquise Brown just is, is not really getting it done. He's got drops out the wazoo. A lot of a lot of his receivers on that roster had like drops and are it's just not a great wide receiver core now. Dez probably isn't going to be a huge splash in the pond for that wide receiver core, but he's at least a reliable target that he, he can potentially count on. I think that even in his rookie season, Des Fitzpatrick could be a fourth receiver on a roster. I think he could be a guy oh, absolutely. that can be counted on to play in certain situations, play special teams as a rookie, and if an injury happens to one or two, he can step in and still produce at a high level. I think that's what I think that that's going to be his path to success. No, I agree. Getting in a spot, and it was interesting to listen to his dad talk about that they really hoped that he could get in a spot where he could land with another really good wide receiver like a Juju Smith-Schuster, kind of maybe learn under Buffalo, his wings. Yeah. like a Stephon Diggs, yeah, somebody who could really kind of take Des under their wings and develop them. But I think Pittsburgh would be a good spot for him. Uh, April 20th, is that what you said, the NFL draft? April 29th, Thursday, April 29th. April 29th, Thursday night, the first round of the NFL draft. We know the number one overall pick is going to be Trevor Lawrence. If I have to listen to one more day of conversation about Zach Wilson and Justin Fields on Get Up, I'm going to lose my mind because I'm over it. But the NFL draft is going to be a lot of fun. Louisville should have three guys, two guys drafted this year. Tell you what, though, I wonder how high Kyle Pitts is going to go because he killed his pro day. We could have a, a whole another episode about the NFL draft. I it's do one we of need my to invite Shane again. <laughs> we could get Shane back here. We, we could we could go through the whole thing and and just look. I can nerd out on the NFL draft for hours. It's going to be a fun night in my house. Yep. I'll get some food. We'll I'll, I'll get it up multiple screens. Hey, let's, we'll, let's have a round table. Let's have like all the draft guides and whatnot spread all over the table. I was reading Dane Brugler's NFL draft guide that's nicknamed the Beast because it's freaking 600 pages long it's got like 400 no it's 400 pages long 600 some odd draft prospects and i was just kind of sifting through it after i was like you know obviously looking up you know the three main level prospects and i'm just like 
man, this is insane. Like, how much time did he have to put into this? Um, if you don't believe me in my NFL draft fandom, I have already done multiple 2021 mock simulators looking at what teams could pick who and who would be available. A lot of fun. Pro Football Talk, they have that tool, a lot of fun stuff. All right, that's enough of us. You are probably tired of listening <laughs> to Louisville football news from these two gurus here. Thank you for tuning in from the Pink Seats. You can give us a follow on Twitter at Pink Seats Pod, at General Wasp for Matt, at Jacob Lane 08. Be sure to check out the third and central baseball podcast that Matt, episode four just came out last week, right, Matt? Yep, we were just talking about the, the Kentucky game, uh, but – also, we talked about you know what we want to see in the second half of the season because you know we're, that podcast episode wasn't going to have a was going to have a short shelf life. We talked about just one game, so we we had a bit of an open discussion of like what uh, what this team needs to do in the back half of the year. Uh, had a little bit of a mid season review, handed out some positional grades and whatnot. So yeah, go ahead and check that out. Episode four, absolutely. Be sure to do that. You can find that anywhere podcasts are available. As far as what is coming with this podcast, we are in the the prime of the off season here. Uh, this podcast was launched and is is a podcast specifically focused on football. We, we will touch base throughout the summer with recruiting news. Fruiting. Hope to have a, a couple of former players. Uh, hope to be able to get a, maybe a coach or two and be able to just check in on the program from time to time. We'll be here when the big moments happen. We'll uh, and then when football gets here, Matt, we're going to be ready to go, man. I'm going to have two kids. I'm going to be ready to, to strap in and get ready for a long season in the house with some Louisville football, hopefully some are you, winning. Are you going to have like the baby holster, like one baby on front, one baby in the back? That, if that's what I got to do, that's what I got to do, man. My, my daughter, she doesn't really know much winning football yet in her life. She was born in 2017, so she's seen a lot of losing so far. I'm hoping my son Liam will be born to more success. Uh, but, yeah, we've got some stuff to, uh, planned for you, so we hope that you will continue to check back with us. As always, thanks for, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.